Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. That no matter what season of life that you find yourself in, here's what I want you to know is God is faithful to you. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's, it's that, that space where we're not sure what to do with the things that we're experiencing in life. But the beautiful thing about this is, is that our God is consistent through it all. And I love the picture that Scripture gives us just over and over and over again, whether it's in Psalms 23 or it's Jesus' reminder to us as he was getting ready to leave this earth. He just said, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And oftentimes we don't recognize that God is with us until after the point. Sometimes in the moment we feel the pressures of life, we feel the difficulty of life, and we feel like we're alone or we feel like we're processing through these things and we're just not sure what to do with those moments. But here's, those are the moments where faith actually enters into our life, where, where we begin to understand that this God who, who made these declarations to us is, is with us. And oftentimes when we get to the other sides of those trials, we can look back and go, oh man, he was with me the whole way. So I just want to bring a word of encouragement to you this morning. No matter what you're facing, God is with you. And and here's what he also designed was for people to go with you on that journey as well. And that's the beauty of of being a part of a church family in the body of Christ. And it's really part of what we've been discussing here over these past about eight weeks together as as a church is really what it looks like to have our lives formed and shaped in the image of Jesus. He's the one that we're following. Right? And the Word of God gave, gave us some pretty clear descriptions on just some of the patterns and rhythms that Jesus lived in in his life and the relationships that he had around him. And we've been talking about this for some time now, these, uh, this up relationship that we have with God, these in relationships that we have with each other, and these out relationships that we have with the world around us. And, and we're going to take uh, some time here over these next few weeks to talk a little bit about those out relationships and what those look like for us. And and, and how that is expressed through our life as we take this journey together as the body of Christ. And, and part of preparation for that is just some things that are going on in our community that we want to continue to make you aware of. Um, how many of you heard of, of, of the Boise Harvest with Greg Lowry coming to town? And there's going to be an event taking place here in April um, that allows us a really unique opportunity to connect people with the message of the gospel. Now, we're going to talk today about, about that being expressed through our lives and the story that God's put around us. But there's also these, these opportunities in life where God draws people to himself through events or moments in, in time. And, and we have a really cool opportunity as a church community and really as the Church of the Treasure Valley to be a part of a really awesome event um, that's going to be taking place down at Boise State in the Extra Mile Arena uh, where, where we're going to get an opportunity to bring our friends to an environment where there's going to be great music and have a, just an incredible time of being together. But, but more importantly, they're going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel for them. And this week, we're actually going to be gathering with a number of churches from around the Treasure Valley and specifically in the Boise area to have a time of worship and prayer for that this Tuesday night right here at River Valley. Um, and, and we're going to be gathering churches from around the valley. The Harvest team from Southern California is going to be here leading us in worship and leading us in a time of prayer. And I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that time. It's a great way to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do, but also to join together as the body of Christ um, for this time 
time of just worship and prayer. There's actually four of these that are taking place throughout the Treasure Valley. We're going to be the ones that are hosting the Boise one. There's going to be one taking place in Meridian um, one, and one taking place in Nampa and another in Eagle throughout this week that's ahead of us. But I want to invite you to come and be a part Tuesday night. I know it's out of your normal rhythm to come to, to gather together here on a Tuesday night. How many of you know that we can break out of our rhythm a little bit every once in a while? And I just want to invite you to come and be a part of it. I believe it's starting at 7 o'clock. Is that right? Does it say it up there? 7. So 7 o'clock, there is no child care. Um, well, we might be able to help with that a little bit. But at this point in time, there is no child. But can I just tell you, your kids need to be a part of this too. And I'm not just saying that because you asked but, but, or said that. But what I, what I am saying is, how many of you know that your kids need to be exposed to these kinds of environments? Where we're praying for our city, where we're praying for people who don't know Christ yet, where we're worshiping together. I would just encourage you to bring them to that and have them be a part of that time of prayer together and and just being a part of great worship and gathering together. So we'll be here Tuesday night. It'll be an awesome time together as we just pursue the heart of God for our city. Um, How many of you know that God has some extraordinary plans for the city that we live in? And I don't know if you know this, but there's some people around you in this community that don't know the hope of Jesus Christ yet. I said that very facetiously. There's lots of people around us in life who have yet to experience really the hope of Jesus Christ. And and church, we get to be the conduits by which they get to see him and experience him in their lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Last week, um, I just want to refresh your mind. Last week, we talked about predictable patterns. How many of you guys remember? Remember that? Anybody here remember that kind of? Okay, good. Thank you, Marcy. Everybody else wasn't here. Um, We talked about predictable patterns and how important they are in our life and being a family on mission of having some predictable patterns, things that we do consistently to grow our relationship with God, things that we do to grow our relationships with one another, things that we do consistently in our life to rest. That's a real thing. I know we don't do that in America well, but but resting is an important part of healthy rhythms for your life and patterns. And I, I just couldn't leave last week without coming back and challenging you again to be mindful of the patterns that you're setting in your life. Because we all have patterns. And our patterns are leading us somewhere. My question is, is your patterns taking you where you want to go? Because if they aren't, you're the person that can make the adjustment to that. Okay? It's not going to be something external that, that, that somebody comes to you and tells you how to shape the patterns of your life. It's one of those things where God has given you this ability in your life to make choices. And those choices will lead you into the spaces of life that you're going to live in the rest of your life. And so I want to encourage you, set healthy patterns for your life. And one of the best ways to do that is to be in community with other people where we get to learn about the healthy rhythms and patterns that they have in their lives. Is everybody with me on that? So I just want to encourage you to think about the patterns that you're setting in your life um, because they are taking you in a very, very, very specific direction. So this morning I want to transition us. We've been talking about up and in. This last month we talked about the in relationships that are around our lives. And that was really the finishing talk about that. Now we want to talk about this reality that Jesus modeled to us about out relationships the relationships that surround us in our our lives. And really everything that we talked about in our up, so building our relationship with God, the things that we do in that space to grow and develop our our love for Him and our relationship with Him. And and that relationship 
pouring into and really feeding our in relationships with each other and how we grow and develop our lives together and the joy and the strength that we receive from being a part of the body of Christ are up and our in relationships lead to one thing. I'm telling you right now, it, it's great to have good friends. It's wonderful to walk in relationship with God. But both of those things are leading us as followers of Christ to be examples or demonstrations of God's love and his grace and his mercy to the world around us that doesn't know him yet. And that is really the outward expression of our lives. And Jesus, here's the reality, Jesus oriented his whole life around this space right here. When you think about Jesus and his mission, he didn't just come for Christian people to have good Christian lives. I know that might be shocking to some of us. But that was not Jesus' purpose. In fact, we read in Luke 19, 9 and 10, it says, Jesus responded, he was speaking to some folks, he said, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. We'll talk about who this guy was here in just a second. And then it goes on to say, Jesus defined his purpose right here. Verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus' purpose in coming to this world was to reveal the Father and his love to humanity so that lost things would be found. We are those lost things. We are sitting here today, most of us, because the grace of God and the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, came to us and we experienced being lost and found. It's sure quiet in here this morning. We experienced going from death to life. Because Jesus was willing to come and leave his place in heaven so that you and I could experience heaven right here in this moment. Jesus' whole life was oriented around this space of showing others the good news of the kingdom of God and helping lost people be found. We see this in every aspect of his life and what he did with the disciples and healing the sick and going from village to village. In all of those spaces, Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God and he was bringing lost people into the kingdom and they were being found in him. That was the whole orientation of Jesus. Jesus was all about getting the good news of the kingdom to those who really needed it. Can I just say I'm super glad that he did that because I was a person that needed the good news of the kingdom. And somehow, from where Jesus was in Capernaum, and all the places surrounding the, the, what we, we knew, would know as the Bible times, somehow the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ got all the way to Boise, Idaho and found this kid right here in this building to experience going from being lost to being found. This was how Jesus oriented his life. It's what he commissioned the disciples to do. And as we read through the New Testament, it's what Jesus invites all followers of him to do. It's to be a person that doesn't just, just um, accept the good things that Jesus does in our life just for us, but to recognize that we have a part to play in the good news getting to others. And this was the reality that Jesus lived in constantly. And it was something he was trying to sow into the hearts of the disciples. That they were meant to not just absorb all this wonderfulness of Jesus for themselves. But to be those that lived on mission to get the good news of who he is out to the world that's around them. And that can be a challenging space sometimes. But it is, it is a very real reality of the followers of Jesus. But here's the challenge that we face in the world that we live in today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some statistics that are going to be very sobering. 
These are not meant to make you feel bad. These are meant to open your eyes wide up to the reality of the world that we're living in today and the post-Christian age that we live in in the country that we live in today. Here's, here's the reality from the Barna reports. 95% of all Christians have never led someone to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just want you to let that sink in for a second. 95%, 95 out of 100 Christians, people that would say they've received Jesus as their Lord and Savior in their life, have never led somebody else to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to move on. 95 to 97% of Christians believe that sharing Jesus with those around us is a Christian responsibility. How many of you would say that as a follower of Jesus, you recognize that, that I, Tim Fortin, and you, whatever your name is, have the personal responsibility as a follower of Jesus to share him with somebody else? Just raise your hand. Okay, so we're, we're about at that mark, 95 to 97. So we believe, we believe that part of being a follower of Jesus is helping other people connect with him because he's good. Would everybody agree with that? Here's the staggering statistics. However, only 11% do that in any way. 11% out of that 95 to 97% ever just share the goodness of God with the people that are around them. Now, I know some of you are like, man, I wanted to be encouraged this morning. I'm going to encourage you, I promise. I promise. We'll, we'll get to some really... But, it, but how many of you know in order to move forward, sometimes we have to look at the stark realities of what we're dealing with in our lives. Sometimes in order to actually take steps forward in life, we, we have to stop for a moment and say, okay, here's really where we're at. If any of you ever spend any time with Leah, Leah is one of those people that will help you physically in your life get from where you are to where you would like to be when it comes to your physical fitness and your nutrition and all of those things. But I guarantee you, when you go spend time with Leah, the first thing she's going to do is help you to realize where you're at. Because if you cannot acknowledge where you're at, there's no way for you to grow forward into what there could be in your life. And so as I talk with you this morning, I just want us to understand where the church, the body of Christ is in America today when it comes to this reality for us. Here, here's, here's something that blew my mind that I just, I had never really thought about this, this before. Out of this same study, it says that 40% of millennials and Gen Zs think it's wrong to share their faith with others in hopes for them to become a follower of Jesus. 47% of millennials and Gen Z people believe that it's wrong. Not just that it might be uncomfortable or weird or awkward or, you know, whatever, but believe that it's wrong for us to share our faith with somebody else in hopes that they would find the person of Jesus Christ and salvation in that. Here's the other staggering part. 19% of boomers believe the same thing. So I want you to think about this. Here's a reality. The reason we don't share Jesus with other people is because we bought into a narrative of our world that tells us that it's wrong to share the goodness of God with other people. To interfere with people's lives in such a way that it would, be, it would be like, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I would sure love for you to experience him in your life. Like somehow we've, we've made that out to be a bad thing. Um, we're, we're in the middle of March Madness. Everybody know what March Madness is? March Madness is one of the, the best basketball tournaments in the world. Um, it's the NCAA and it's a space for us that with that... that for those of us that enjoy basketball and watching basketball, it's a really fun, fun time of the year. Uh, I, I need the, the, the basketball. Where to go? So in basketball, basketball has a very 
simple goal to it, right? Not complicated. You take this thing right here, which is a basketball. For those of you that don't, I'm going to introduce you to some new stuff this morning. This is a basketball. And the whole goal of this sport is to have five people on a court and to get this thing in a round hoop. And if you do that more than the other team, you win. Pretty simple, right? March Madness, there's this reality around it that everybody just loves rallying around these underdog teams and all these things that are going on. My kids and I are doing brackets and we're having fun just kind of laughing about these weird upsets and things that are happening. But really the reality of basketball is this round thing going in another round thing. If you do it more than the other team, you win. That's it. That's about, I, seems a little simplistic, but, but in reality, that's it. It would be ludicrous for me to go to an NCAA basketball team and talk with them and, and, and sit down with them and say, okay, guys, here's our goal. We want to win the national championship in basketball. But here's how we're going to do it. 95% of this basketball team, which they usually have 12 to 15 players, 95% of you guys aren't even going to try to put this thing in the basket. But we still want to go out and win the game. I want you to think about that. How insane would a basketball coach have to be to look at his team and say, I don't want 95% of you guys to score. There's, there's just going to be about 5% of this basketball team that's going to score some points. How many of you think that team's going to win against another team that is intent on putting this in the basket every time and they don't care who gets it in? You guys with me this morning? This is the approach that the Christian church is taking to helping other people find Christ. 95% of us are sitting on the bench or we're on the court. We're just not willing to put the ball in the hoop. While we're watching 5% struggle to try and get her done. Can you imagine if we were able to just cut that in half? The difference that would make in a game? I want you to think about an NCAA team, a, a basketball team, that if you only had 5% effort given for them to score points in a basketball game, for them to reach 10 points would be an astronomical feat. Because what we also fail to realize is that there's an opposing team, an enemy who doesn't want you to get that thing in the hoop, right? Can I just tell you, that is the perfect picture of what's going on in the Christian world today. And so as we think about that, our goal as Christians, we all would say our goal as believers is to help other people connect with the good news of Jesus Christ because we want them to experience heaven. We want them to experience the joy of being a part of the body of Christ. We want them to know what it feels like to be forgiven of their sin and not carry that weight around with them. We want them to know what it's like to be a part of a family and to enjoy the goodness of God in their life. We want them to know that this world is not their home, that there's something greater. Is anybody with me? this morning. Like, that's what we are here for. And yet, the reality of it is, is only about five to maybe 10% ever even take the opportunity to help somebody else experience that. It would be like taking a half short court shot once a game and say, I did my part. You guys with me this morning? It feels a little weighty in here, but, but but I want to invite you to see. 
I'm asking you to just pause for a moment and not, not get caught up in this, well, Tim, it makes me nervous when I talk to people about Jesus. Like I get all sweaty and weird stuff starts happening in my armpits and I just, this words start stuttering out and I don't know what to do. And I, I'd slow down for a second. Just slow, that, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm just asking you to think as a follower of Jesus, what is the goal of your life? What are you aiming for with the work that Jesus has done in you. And I, I'm just asking us to pause for a moment and maybe say, maybe we need to align that goal more with what Jesus was doing and how Jesus was spending his life. Because those same basketball players that go out in the court and are going to score baskets and all that stuff, how many of you know they have to go through a lot of pain and struggle and challenge to be good at putting this round thing through the hoop? There's lots of practice, there's lots of preparation, there's lots of other games that they've played, there's lots of things that kind of lead up to that space of their life. And I just want you to know as followers of Christ, there's lots of things that God's doing us to prepare us for those moments as well, but we have to be a people that recognize that God is constantly at work trying to reveal himself to the world that's around us that desperately needs to know him, and he's just looking for some people that will get on the court and say, I'll put the ball through the hoop. I'll, I'll be a part of that, Jesus. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I may not even be the best one for it. But Jesus, you've done good things in me, and I want to live out of that place in my life. Because here's what we know. God is constantly at work in the world today, and he's constantly at work in the people that are around you. Mark 1.15, it's a verse that we've been using kind of a lot around here, but Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, the kingdom of God is at work right now in people's lives that are around you right now. Like every moment, God is wanting to reveal himself. He's always at work in people's lives around us. The challenge with us is, is too many times, we are just not aware of the workings of God because we're so entrapped by just the day in, day out things that we're trying to get through. And Jesus modeled to us and he invited us into this place of living with a different mindset when it comes to how we approach our day-to-day -day lives. I want to help you today understand that, that your life is already a unique opportunity to show people and share with people the goodness of God. That oftentimes we think of it in, if you're old school, we think of it in the, in the framework of passing out tracts to people or standing out on the corner or going up to somebody's door and knocking to them, telling them about the person of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you right now, those are the most difficult, challenging ways to convey the good news of Jesus Christ into people's lives. And the challenge with that is, is some of us have been brought up around that environment or we, we've seen those things modeled and we're just like, I'm out. I am not doing that. Can I just help you? Jesus never asked you to do that. Those are some expressions of ways that people have, have decided to, to live out or to share the good news of Jesus with people. But that doesn't mean that they are the most effective ways. In fact, what we see from Jesus and what we see from the early disciples is that really the testimony of your life, how you live your life, the day in, day out things of your life speaks way more to people about the gospel than going and knocking on their door and handing them a track. But oftentimes we don't recognize the power of our everyday living in order for that to take place. So I want to take you on a journey over these next few weeks. I want to talk you through some spaces of what we're calling the landscape of life. The landscape of life. In other words, what does your life look and reveal 
about the God who's intersected you. And we're going to talk about four spaces in this landscape of our life where God breaks into the moments of our life. He breaks into the journey that we're on and he does something in us that provides an opportunity for us to have a witness or a testimony of God's faithfulness or goodness in our lives. It gives us an opportunity that in our own story, in the journey of our life, to be able to have ways that we can communicate to other people who are living their lives in similar ways, how God intersected us in our journey. And he created this beautiful mosaic, this landscape of your life for others to see the goodness of God in. So we're going to take some time, and I just want to expose you to these this week. I'm going to give you a brief description of them, and it's going to help us to kind of prepare ourselves over these next few weeks to look at the landscape of your life and the landscape of my life and to see what God has been doing in us to be able to give us testimony or, or words to be able to describe what God's been doing in us so that the people around us can experience him through our lives. How many of you guys are okay with that? I promise you, by the end of this, I'm not going to ask you to walk up to somebody's door and knock on their door. I promise. That's not even what we're talking about. What we are talking about is how do we live out our everyday lives in a way that others can see God in that. So I want to talk to you about these four spaces. Um, and they don't, they, these are not coming in any particular order. They're just, they're things that, we're, they're words that we're going to use to describe moments and interactions that we have with God that, that have transformed or are transforming our lives. The first one is the word eruptions. And these are powerful works of God. As you look at this kind of description up here, eruptions is the place, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it here this morning. But eruptions are these powerful works of God. Some examples of these would be, would be like Moses in the burning bush. How many of you think that might be a, an eruption moment in your life? Yeah. How, uh, uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, where he was just mining in his, his own business, killing Christians, doing all that kind of just normal everyday stuff for people. And Jesus interacted with him in a moment. It was an erupting moment in his life. The second one is, is erosion. And this space here, this is, this is something that happens over time that is shaping us. I want you to think about things like your job, parenting. I'm going to say that one again. Parenting <laughs> happens over time and it's just eroding the very nature of who we are. Is, I'm, I'm kidding. Things that are taking place over time, some, some erosive things would be caring for a loved one who's been sick for a long period of time, walking through that, that journey or process, um, being a part of a local church, walking with that church through seasons of life and time. These are erosion events that kind of take place uh, about this. We're actually going to dig deeper into this one next week and kind of explore some of these spaces for us. But some examples out of scripture would be uh, like Noah and his family. Think about the journey that they went through. God spoke to them. And they went on this crazy journey of building a boat, which they didn't even know what that was in their time. And, and all the ridicule and mocking and everything that they journeyed through, there was some erosion that took place in their life. But God met them in those moments. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, beautiful story we'll talk a little bit about. David and Saul, how about the prodigal son? These, these journeys that we go along that, that kind of are forming and shaping in our lives, but they take a little bit more time. They're not like a, an eruption moment. Uh, another one is, is, uh, of the four is an earthquake. Uh, these are life-altering events, the death of somebody that you love, maybe a divorce or a major illness, a parent walking out on you as a child, uh, big events where we see huge need that God steps into and reveals himself to us. 
So many of us have had earthquake events that have happened in our lives that we could go back to and be like, man, that, that, was, that was a big one in my life. And I saw God come through in this way. Um, some examples of that that we can see throughout Scripture would be like uh, Jairus or Job, Jesus raising people from the dead. These, these moments that were catalytic moments in their lives and in their communities, um, but were earthquake moments in, in people's lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a, a couple of weeks, just what that looks like in our own life and testimony. And then the, then the last one is the excavations phase. And this is where discipleship is taking place in our lives where we've walked with others and intentional God work has been done. Excavation is something that's intentional, right? You're going out and we're, we're digging holes in the ground. We're preparing it for something. And, and that's really the space of discipleship where we've walked with people in community and they've come alongside of us. And they, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that spiritual parenting component of our life, right? Where people come and they help us to grow. They help us to see some things that need to be shifted and altered. We make some choices in that space and we interact with God in such a way that he's growing us and, and he's helping us to really understand the truths of God's word and, and, and the way that he wants us to walk with him. And we see an example of this in, in like Timothy's relationship with Paul. We see examples of this in relationship with Elisha and Elijah, Samuel and Eli, Moses and Joshua, Jesus and the 12 disciples. So we see all these, these pictures or patterns of this throughout Scripture. And really what we're seeing in Scripture is the landscape of people's lives that give an example or a, a tangible expression of God's interaction with them on their journey. And what I, what I want to, to help us to understand is that these moments are, are part of all of our stories. Each one of us, and as we talk about these over the next few weeks, will be able to relate to spaces and time in our lives where God interacted with us through an eruption or through an earthquake or through some erosion or, or whatever spaces of our life. And those spaces of our life give us very unique opportunities to be able to connect our lives with the people that are around us who don't know Jesus yet. I just want you to think about this for a moment. The greatest platform that you have to connect people with Jesus is not to go up to them and tell them that they're sinners. They already know that. Come on. That, that, that's a, that's a real, most of us, in fact, all of us know that we're broken in this journey of life. All of us have experienced that, but what we need to know is how God intersected with other people on their journey and how that relates to my journey. Or I'm just going to put it you in their position, their journey. The greatest way that we get to share the good news of the kingdom of God and help people connect with Jesus is by connecting them with our story and how God intersected our life and how God walked with us through really difficult, dark seasons of life. When you're sitting with your neighbor and you're having a conversation with them, they don't need you to bring out your Bible and whack them with it. What they need to see is the Bible alive in you through your journey and your relationships, through the difficulty that you felt and experienced in life, through things that you can't even put words to, but you know that God met you in those moments. That is the greatest way to share the good news of the kingdom of God. And it's what Jesus did with the disciples the whole time he was here. He just walked around telling them stories about life and exposing people to the goodness of who he is. Let me give it to you in this, in this framework. Your life and my life, and what we see through Scripture is that, that our lives are three things to people. They're a picture. They're something that people get to look at and go, huh, that's beautiful. It's interesting what I see. That, that, that's part of what your life brings to the people that you're around. Your life is also a mirror. 
And the things that we experience in life are a mirror for others to look at and go, man, I've experienced that too. But you're dealing with it way better than I'm dealing with it. So our lives can be a mirror. But here's the other thing that our our lives get to be. They get to be a window into the kingdom of heaven. Where people look through your life and see the goodness of God on the other side. Where they see family and connection and community. And So we're going to be talking about this a lot over these next few weeks of how our lives get to be a picture, get to be a mirror, and get to be a window for others to see the kingdom of God and God's working in and through our lives. You guys ready to go on this journey? Come on, there's just this reality that God has set up such cool opportunities for us. So this morning, I want to give you a picture out of Scripture of what an eruption looks like so that we can kind of settle that one in our heart as we step into these next few weeks of, of what the landscape of our life looks like. And remember, the landscape of your life is being formed by this journey that you're on. So let's talk about an eruption. Luke 19 was where we just read out of, and there's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. And I'm just going to read it to you, and I, w- I want you to just take a moment and just kind of take in this story. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief t- tax collector in the region and had become very rich. So just for those of you that just read the Bible sometimes and aren't sure why that's significant. Tax collectors were Jewish people that worked for the Roman government and were extorting their Jewish friends. By extorting, I mean taking their money. These were the worst of the worst people. They were traitors to their own people and they were despised by the Roman government. In other other words, the Roman government didn't like them at all. They just used them as a medium to get money from taxes. And Jewish people didn't like them because they were crooked. They were stealing stuff from them. So this man, Zacchaeus, was a dirtbag. Like the king of dirtbags in Jericho. Nobody liked him. The Romans didn't like him. And neither did the Jews. This was this man's kind of state. Verse 3. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. We could go into that, but we'll just leave that one alone. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, For Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up uh, at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Notice that. Jesus called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. That was politically incorrect. That was socially incorrect. It was wrong in every way for Jesus, who would have been identified as a rabbi, to spend any time with this guy let alone to call him by name. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. In other words, the Jewish people, the people in the community there that were probably following Jesus when considered themselves close to becoming disciples. They were the ones that were going to church every day with Jesus. They were the ones that were kind of looking like they were doing the right things. They had, they had done all the right stuff. They were unhappy about this situation. Um, I totally lost my spot. Verse 7, but the people were displeased. He is gone. This is an accusation they're making of Jesus. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. How many of you guys would like to be notorious at anything? Come on. Like, Zacchaeus was a dirtbag, but at least he was a notorious dirtbag, right? Like, He was the man, like everybody knew him as that. 
And everybody was offended in this moment that Jesus would call him by name and go spend time with him. Like they were totally distraught. But something was happening in Zacchaeus' life in this moment. Verse 8, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people, if he still hadn't been converted yet, because he cheated a lot of people. If I had cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus replied, and this was a verse I read to you earlier. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus had an eruption moment with Jesus. Here's a man who was just minding his own business, doing his everyday life, stealing money from his friends, being a complete fraud in every way, shape, or form, and he was okay with it. He was just living everyday life as if that was how you live life. Can I just say that is a majority of the people that we spend time around every day. They're just living their everyday life. They don't know any different. They're just kind of doing their thing. And Jesus comes in in one moment and wrecks his whole life. He just erupts on the scene with Zacchaeus and says, Hey, you, Zacchaeus, yes, I know your name. I want to come and hang out at your house today. And from that moment, because of Jesus' expression of his love towards him in that space, Jesus didn't say, Hey, I know you're a tax collector. Everybody hates you. Jesus didn't even instruct him to give money back. We don't see that recorded at all. But because of Zacchaeus' interaction with Jesus, something changed on the inside of him, and he went from being a dirtbag to being generous. That's how the kingdom of God works. He went from being a nobody, he went from being a notoriously bad somebody into a man that was now generous and kind and was thoughtful and something changed in his life. He had an eruption moment with Jesus. And can I tell you, from that eruption moment, People got to hear the good news of the gospel in Jericho and all the outlying areas because of Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. A man who nobody wanted to be around. And if we think about our lives, I just want to think you to think about your previous life, whatever that looks like for you. I don't know if you were a nice person, a not-so-nice person. I don't know if you were doing drugs, if you were an alcoholic. I don't know what spaces you find yourself in, but here's what I know. Prior to finding Jesus, we were all notoriously sinners. We had been separated from the good news of Jesus Christ in our life because of sin. And Jesus erupted on the scene of your life. He called you by name and invited you to come and be a part of his family. And here's what he says, I want to come hang out with you. Now, when you think about the story of your life, when you think about the, the landscape of Zacchaeus' life, did it change in that moment through that eruption? Yeah. Significantly. The direction that he was going or how people would have viewed his life prior to that, he had his, his kind of own painting going in that space and it wasn't something that, that was drawing people to friendship and relationship with him. But after an interaction with Jesus, the whole landscape of his life transformed and changed. Not because of something Zacchaeus did, but because of Jesus breaking through in power and coming into his life. Can I just tell you that, that out of your life and out of my life and out of the journey that we're in, 
That's one of the greatest testimonies we'll ever get to share with people. It's how God came and found you in your mess and by his grace and mercy brought you into his family. That's not standing on the corner screaming the Bible at people. That is, that is standing in your front yard with your neighbor. And they're talking about some of the difficult things that they've experienced in life. And you have an opportunity to connect with them through the journey that God's brought you on in your life. You have an opportunity to say, there was a time in my life when I was this way. But Jesus came and rescued me in my life and he, he totally turned my life around. And this is the difference that I'm experiencing in my life. That's the greatest gospel testimony that there is. Because here's the reality of it. Nobody can argue with you about what Jesus did in you. They can stand, you can stand on the corner preaching from the Bible and all of those things and they have all kinds of opportunity to argue with you about everything that you're saying. But when you get off of your box and you stand in your front yard and you sit in your backyard in a lawn chair and you're just hanging out with some friends from your neighborhood and they're telling you about the pain and journey of their life, you have an opportunity to say, I know what you're feeling. And here's how God interacted in my life as I was walking through those similar things. It's as simple as just allowing yourself to be aware of the world that's around you and the journey that people are in and connecting your story to their story, to God's story. It's a powerful platform for us, church. Yet the challenge of it is, only about 10% of us ever even get to the place of sharing that kind of story with the people that we're around. And yet we're trying to win the game. And Jesus gave us this beautiful platform of just saying, hey, would you just take what I've done in your life and live in normal everyday relationship with the people that are around you and tell them about my goodness towards you. You don't have to be a professional speaker. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have a theological degree. You just get to say, this is what Jesus did in me. And when we think about this landscape of our life, your life has so much more texture and context to it than you ever give credit for. There are so many things that God has done in your life that we've just turned into, well, that was just another thing that God did to help me through, that could be a lifeline to your next door neighbor. For them to go, wait, God did what for you? He did what in your family? He did what with your kids? He did, he did what with your... Those are opportunities for us to be able to throw a lifeline to people that are literally lost and drowning. And it's the story of your life. It's the new story of Zacchaeus' life. It's the, the story that we see all throughout Scripture. When Jesus interacted people in their lives, things changed. And church, we get to be the vehicles for that to take place in others' lives. So when we think about the landscape of life and you think about this journey that, that you are in, what you are going through is not insignificant. In fact, it's critically important. And it's part of the story that you get to tell others about the goodness of God so that they can experience Him in life-giving ways. I'm not asking you to go knock on doors. Neither was Jesus. And again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. There's some people that really love that. I'm not that guy. But I can stand in my front driveway with my next door neighbors. And I can relate to them about the things that are going on in their lives. 
And I can just share with them what God's done in my life in those moments. And that is an opportunity for an eruption to take place in their life. An opportunity for the message of the gospel to break through the brokenness of their world and for them to experience the person of Jesus Christ towards them. But I have to open my mouth. I have to be a person that is aware of what's going on around me in relationship with them and how to connect the story of what God's done in me with the story of what God's trying to do in them and connect them with the person of Jesus Christ. Church, every one of us can do that. Every one of us can do that. And as we prepare for a season ahead of us or four weeks or so of just talking about this, these out relationships around our life, we're going to flush this out even more in greater opportunity of, of how God gives us those moments. But I, but I want you to be thinking about this in relationship to people connecting with the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, through your life, but, but maybe yet at Boise Harvest. Maybe there's somebody that you're supposed to invite to come and be a part of that with you. And they're just waiting for somebody to step into their world. Today, we're going to give you an opportunity as you're leaving to take some cards with you. And they're just things that have a little bit of information for people that you want to invite to these events. But I just want you to think about just your normal, everyday life. This is not a build-up to an event. This is the reality of how we live our lives. That the landscape of your life is a testimony and hope to somebody else finding Jesus. Amen? It's huge. It's huge, church. And, and here's what my, my prayer is for River Valley, that we would change the statistics. From the 95% of those that don't ever lead anybody to Jesus to being 95% of people that call River Valley church home and family have shared the good news of Jesus with somebody and had the joyful experience of helping them connect to the good news of the gospel to find hope in Him. That's my prayer for us as a church. Because here's the reality of it. We're not going to get to heaven and, and be, be um, wondering what the, the, the measurement was. We're not going to get to heaven and go, Jesus, so what did you really want me to do? Jesus wants you to be a light to the people that you're around. And he wants your life to leave an impact on those people that they would find some hope in him. And not just for eternity, but how to live their life right now in him. Amen? And church, we can be that people. We can be that people because God's done extraordinary things in you. You can be that person because God's put his imprint upon your life and his grace and mercies all over you. That's something that you can share with the people that you're around. Amen? And so as we think about this journey that's ahead of us, and, and maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. I just want you to know it's not complicated. It's a simple invitation to just yield your life to him, to say, Jesus I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes in my life, but I recognize, Jesus, that you went to the cross to die for me, to give me opportunity to have a relationship with you. It's an invitation from Jesus, the King of the universe, to come and be in relationship with him, be a part of his family, and then to go on a journey with him in life. And that, that's something that, that, that is an opportunity for us to engage with the king who decided to lay down his kingship to come be a sacrifice in place for you and I. It's a beautiful message of the gospel. So as we sit here today and as we get ready for the weeks that are ahead of us, I just want to invite you into this place of letting the Holy Spirit do some work inside of us, of cultivating our hearts, seeing that your life and the landscape of your life is a testimony for others to connect with the goodness of God in. Amen? It's a powerful, powerful place for us. I want to take just a moment. I'm going to pray over us this morning. 
Um, and then here's what we do at the end of every one of our services. And those of you who are joining us online can join with us as well. But we, we take moments at the end of every one of our services to just pause, to gather together in groups with some of the people around us. And we recognize very clearly, you may not know some of the people around you. That's awesome. In about two minutes, you can get to know them, right? And we just take a moment and we just talk a little bit about this. And we're going to throw a question up on the screen here that will give you kind of a, a starting point just conversationally with each other about what we've heard today. We don't want to just be people that hear the word of God. We want to be people that put it into action in our lives. And one of the best starts to doing that is being in relationship and connection with each other, talking through this, and then take a moment and just pray for each other. And you may think, man, I'm not a very good prayer. I don't feel super comfortable. Nobody in this room is qualified to be a good prayer. That's reserved for Jesus. The rest of us are just following him. And so it can be two words in prayer, or it can just be you joining with others in prayer for someone. But we take this time because we believe that it's really important for us as church family to stay connected in the things that God's doing in our lives. So let me pray over us real quick this morning, then we'll break out into our groups. Father, we thank you so much for just the example of your word. Lord, we thank you for what we're reading and learning about the person of Jesus. And Jesus, the example of, that you set for us, that you came to seek and save that which was lost. And so, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be burdened with that same mission. And Lord, today as we just spend time together in community and conversation, Lord, as we spend time talking and processing, preparing for the week that's ahead of us, Lord, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be primed, God, with the same love, Lord, that you showed towards us, Lord, that we would reciprocate that love to the world that we live in. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for eruptive moments in our lives, Jesus, where you broke in, Lord, and you rescued us, Lord. And God, we just say we need you. God, we need you, Lord, and we know that there's people in this room and online, God, that need to know you as well. And so, Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that salvation would take place as we turn our hearts towards you, Jesus. Lord, bless our times together. Lord, be with each one as we go this week, Lord, that our hearts, our lives, our families, and our emotions, God, will be anchored in the surety of you, Jesus Christ. Lord, that you are our foundation. Lord, we thank you again for this time together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.